Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is our 235th episode of our little weather get-together. Uh, tonight is Wednesday, June the 6th, 2018, and our guest is uh, going to be Alan Sills. He's the uh, chief meteorologist at WKRG in Mobile, Alabama, and also the president of the National Weather Association. So, um, Alan currently is not with us right now, but we're working on getting his connection established. So hopefully uh, Alan will be able to join us here shortly. But uh, this is our little weather get together. So uh, thank you for uh, joining us tonight. A few housekeeping rules if you are watching live with this on one of our various platforms, Facebook Live, Periscope, YouTube, or if you're listening to the uh, podcast later on, uh, we would love to have your interaction with us. Feel free to uh, tweet us at Carolina WX Group or comment on the Periscope or Facebook Live feed, and uh, we'll get those questions um, directed uh, to our guests. Or if you're listening on the uh, podcast later on, uh, we'll let Alan give a way to uh, give out his information so you can ask those questions to him. So uh, as we wait for Alan, we'll go around our little uh, weather get together. And I, I know that a few of us uh, were off last week. So uh, we looks like we've got a full panel tonight, except uh, Ricky Matthews with us. So let's bring in Ashley, who is in uh, Texas. Ashley, how's things going down there in the Lone Star State? Hi, Scotty. It's going absolutely great. Looking at heat. I'm always talking about the heat. So about 90 to 100 degrees here. Um, no rain, no nothing. We did just have a fluke severe thunderstorm kind of system just come through. I guess it was Sunday night that we weren't really expecting that much. Um, we had a marginal risk, but we didn't have any watches out. And I've noticed down here that marginal risks actually produce more severe thunderstorms than slight risks for some reason. So that actually ended up flooding my office a little bit with some of that uh, that rain that got through the door into my office. So I've been dealing with that. But other than that, back to you. Thank you for that, Ashley. And uh, James and I can also confirm that uh, marginal risks seem to be the uh, the ideal days for severe weather to happen here in the Carolinas, that, right, James? That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Tornado warnings, lightning, thunderstorms that shut off your power. You know, yeah, that's marginal risks. You can depend on it. We, we had a little bit of that over the last few days. Well, let's, uh, before we get to James in the Charlotte area, let's bring in Eric, who is in Memphis, Tennessee tonight. Eric, how's things going there? We have had a lot of things going on in the last week or so around here. Uh, I know the, the marginal risk sometimes produce. Uh, sometimes it's the enhanced risk, which we were put under for uh, Saturday evening. Um, some clusters of thunderstorms developed uh, along a cold front that was moving into the area. We finally were getting a cold front after the warmest May on record here. Um, and uh, actually got a pretty good strong uh, supercell that was moving kind of south-southeast. Just missed the city of Memphis, but uh, they put a tornado warning out on it and actually got... Uh, uh, a uh, pretty strong microburst, up to 100 mile an hour winds um, that uh, damaged a small regional airport here, destroyed the hangars and the airplanes that were in it. Um, so pretty active, uh, pretty active end to last week. And once that front moved through, we're rejoicing as we got dew points down in the 50s. Uh, it's still warm, but it's been really pleasant. Uh, some cooler mornings the last few days. Um, so we're grateful for that and not having to forecast thunderstorms every day here for the last uh, several days. But getting back towards the summertime pattern as we head into the weekend, uh, humidity starting to come back up. But we'll take uh, 92 with no heat index as long as we can get it. Amen with that. I know uh, around here in the Carolinas, it's also been kind of calm this weekend, this week. Um, but those severe weather, or not severe weather, but the storms and, and the heat and humidity come back this weekend. Uh, let's go to uh, Peter, who's up in the uh, Philly area. Peter, how are things going up there in the Northeast? 
Uh, rain, 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 and more rain. Uh, it just, just doesn't stop. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty cool and rainy around here lately. Uh, we've had a lot of cloudy days the past week or so. And uh, I want to show this little graphic here because this was uh, interesting. I, it's kind of just crazy. Uh, the last five weekends here in Philly, it has rained. There's been measurable rain here since May the 5th. So uh, this weekend could be number six because uh, there's more showers and storms in the forecast. So uh, every weekend's just been terrible around here with just uh, storms, severe weather and flooding and all that good stuff. And of course, I'm catching grief for it because everybody's going down the shore now and going to concerts and all this stuff. So sorry, I can't do anything about it, but it is what it is. Uh, and I don't want to hear anything about a drought anytime soon because we have plenty of rain here uh, from the past couple of weeks. So hopefully we'll get some much calmer weather uh, soon. It uh, doesn't look like it anytime soon. And hopefully we'll get a little bit uh, warmer weather uh, sometime soon as well, because it's been just 70s and 80s around here and uh, not too many uh, hot and humid days so far this summer. So uh, hopefully things will change because I do like the warmer weather, but we'll see. So Scotty, back to you. Thank you for that, Peter. Uh, to kind of play off of that, it's been wet here in the Carolinas. Uh, we've had 19 consecutive days of rain, and that was actually broke. I think on Monday we didn't have any rain. So uh, James has been a, a pretty hot and uh, – not really humid though week here in the Carolinas. You're right. Monday was uh, was a gift that we had been waiting for for a good week or so after all of the flooding and severe storms that we had over the course of the last week. Um, you know, here in Charlotte, we had severe storms. So it felt relentlessly day after day. Uh, took power out for me at least twice. Uh, so that was that was fun. Um, and so far, enjoying this week. We do have an air quality alert. In the Charlotte metro area today, uh, you may have noticed that, especially this afternoon as you as you went outside. But uh, it is it is much drier. The dew points, you those dew points came down. It was so nice. I thought about opening the windows the other night. It was actually a nice spring day followed by a nice spring evening. So our weather map right now is relatively quiet, especially after seeing all of the bright warnings and watches and bulletins on it last week. But uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on it, Scotty. Very much so, and I was wanting wanting to share this right quick uh, to kind of talk about uh, the rainfall here in the Carolinas. Uh, this was just uh, produced a couple of days ago. Um, North Carolina was it was the third wettest um, month ever recorded in North Carolina. Obviously, Maryland and Florida um, the wettest due to the tropical effects and all the rain that uh, Maryland's seen. But North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, all three. Uh, locations had uh, one of the top five wettest months in the uh, in the, the ever ever recorded. So uh, it has definitely been a wet and warm month here in the Carolinas. And James, you have something to share? Yeah, about? I almost forgot the other thing I was going to mention last week, and I'm going to pop it up on the screen real fast. Is just a shout out to uh, WGHP Fox Eight in Greensboro, who used some of our content on their website. As Scotty, Jared, and some other folks from the Carolina Weather Group were, were covering the flooding situation in the foothills. So uh, thanks to them for for sharing our our posts and uh, letting that information get on out to the masses. That's right. We appreciate the share. And uh, as we were talking before the show, that was one of the hottest uh, videos we've had in a long time there, James. Was the, It uh, is. The it is. Coverage. I think, I believe, and uh, to Shay's disappointment, I believe this is our new top most popular video, which, which trumps our recent streaming of the <laughs> meteor shower with the awesome rock music not too many months ago from NASA TV. 
Sorry, Shay. Sorry. I know you're broke, broken hearted about that. Well, let's uh, let's bring in uh, Jared, who is uh, covering the uh, Charleston area. Jared, how's things down there in the low country? Oh, nice drop in dew points, man. I, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's still kind of humid. It's like the dew point 65. Like, enjoy this. Like, come to me next week. Right. Um, no, it's been great. You know, we, we've been, you know, May was a, a soaker, wettest May on record at the Charleston International Airport. So it's nice to get a break from that. Um, we uh, we were we went into May with a severe drought in some spots. And now South Carolina is drought free. There's nothing, nothing there. So no more drought to deal with. And it looks like we got more rain, uh, slight chances next couple days and then uh, better chances getting into next week. Um, temperatures are, we just scraped 89 today at the airport. So going to be getting back into the nineties a little bit, but nothing terribly heinous. We've really, uh, you know, we had a couple hot days with a couple heat and de- heat in the season, the hundreds, uh, before that, uh, back to our front swung through and, uh, you know, that wasn't, um, you know, it's kind of what you expect, uh, around this time of year. And, um, so, so far so good. Uh, just enjoying it. Back to you, Scotty. Thank you for that, Jared. Uh, let's bring in Shay, who is uh, uh, actively watching the tropics. Shay, I know we had Alberto a few uh, weeks ago, but now your uh, eyes and attention turn to the uh, Pacific. Yeah, that's right, Scotty. So right now, uh, let me go ahead and present this to everyone. Let me know when you can see the screen. Everything looks okay. We got it. All right, good deal. So right now, everything looks great in the Atlantic Basin. There is no tropical systems to... Um, to tend to at the moment, we are watching the Western Caribbean right now. There's always some tropical waves and some pulsing energy that sort of uh, shifts across towards the, the Northwestern Caribbean uh, in the form of easterly trades and some, some moisture pile up and, and uh, a little bit of warmth on the, on the sea surface temperatures there. But otherwise, things look really quiet. In fact, if we look at the sea surface temperature anomalies, we look here off of Africa, way over here to the right side, this giant area of blue represents cooler than normal waters for this time of the year and um and we see warmer than normal waters to its north which means uh we'll see uh less formation of tropical systems along this pattern uh, at least for the you know for the next several weeks or so and, and if this warms up it may not be till mid or late summer which may be indicative of a less active hurricane season but we're, we're still looking at some numbers on that that's not for sure uh right now what we have to look at is climatology for these systems so we see a lot of these systems uh, right here in the Northwestern Caribbean, which is where Alberta came from, uh, also in the Gulf of Mexico and the Southeast coast of the United States, all the way up to the mid-Atlantic. These are all areas where if we get strong enough high pressure built to the north, we can actually see some homegrown systems come right off the coastlines with flow pressures developing long tail ends of cold fronts, things like that, uh, that sort of drape through to the Southeast. We, we are known to uh, see frontalysis here where fronts come to die. And then we get low pressures that develop off the coastline. So we have to continue to watch this from June and even into July as these areas become a little bit more active, spreading to the east in time as we go through the season where the tropics become more active. So there's a lot of buzz right now with this cold pool right here, but that's not necessarily indicative of what's going to happen for this entire season. It just means right now uh, there's no action. The action right now is actually in uh, the eastern Pacific, which is just now waking up. And we'll go here. We have Aletta, Tropical Storm Aletta. And the winds are 45 miles per hour, pressure 1,000 millibars, moving west to eight. This will not be a threat to land, and it may become our first hurricane of the season in the eastern North Pacific. Uh, so we'll be looking for that. Another area right behind it, 30% chance, 48 hours, 90% chance next five days. Uh, that storm, if name, will be Bud. I know it sounds uh, 
kind of crude, but it's the same list from 2012. And uh, we, we continue to watch. There's a letter right there in Wind Alert. There's just a few points of data, not very much out there in the Eastern Pacific. Um, here's the list for 2018 for the East North Pacific. We won't get too much into this tonight because this doesn't really have to do with the tropical Atlantic. Uh, but we are under our final La Nina advisory, which does have its effects in the Atlantic Basin. And uh, that means we will be sliding into an inso neutral phase through September, November 2018. And uh, it looks like some of the plume models for this show a fairly steady trend upwards and maybe even towards an El Nino as we get into late winter of 2018 and into early 2019. So a lot of trends swinging back from the cooler temperatures going back up to the warmer temperatures. Here's some uh, further further evidence of that. And this is the uh, Nino region 3.4, which basically is the main region we watch for sea surface temperatures. And, and we get minus 0.5 or below. We talk about La Nina conditions over time. Plus 0.5, we talk about El Nino conditions and it's sitting right below zero. So that's um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, Scotty. There's not much more with the tropics. We're just going to watch to see what happens to that cold pool over the tropic, tropical Atlantic, equatorial Atlantic. And uh, we'll continue to watch that. But I see Alan has hopped on now. So I'm going to hand this back to you, Scotty, and introduce our guest for tonight. And um, we'll go from here. All right, thank you for that, Shay. And as uh, you alluded to, we have a chief meteorologist at WKRG in Mobile, Alabama. We have uh, Mr. Alan Seals on. Alan, how are you doing this evening? I am doing fine. Question number one, can you hear me? We got you. You sound great. Excellent. It's As always, it's a device issue. I was logged in. It didn't show me a picture, and now finally I'm here. So I'm here. Let's talk. That's okay. We uh, we have our own little troubles with technology from time to time. So we appreciate you joining us tonight. And uh, mm -hmm. welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. I know this is uh, your first time being on with us. And one thing we always like to ask our first-time guests is uh, kind of something that you've probably been asked numerous times throughout your career. How did you get hooked into this crazy, crazy business called meteorology? <laughs> my my hook was really subtle. Uh, I grew up outside of New York City, and the great thing about that part of the world is you get four distinct seasons. So as a little kid, I walked to school every day, elementary, middle, high school. We had fun in the snow. Um, building forts, shoveling snow, making money for people. But one of the things that really got me fascinated in weather was uh, seeing lightning during a snowstorm and hearing thunder snow. And that was like second or third grade. I had no idea that it exists. And it, it scared me, but it fascinated me at the same time. I learned a little later, uh, I was outside in the summer in a summer thunderstorm and ice started falling from the sky, and which of course was hail. And to me, it was just amazing that it could be 90 degrees and you have ice falling from the sky. So those things just sort of simmered with me. Um, third grade, we had this class project where my teacher, uh, Miss Costello, took us all outside. We laid on the grass, we looked at the cumulus clouds, and we tried to imagine what shapes they reminded us of. And while we were doing that, in my mind, I was thinking, well, how is it possible the clouds could float? Uh, and it's, it's a simple, H2O is lighter than O2, lighter than hydrogen and nitrogen, but still, intuitively, it doesn't make sense that you could have vapor floating in the sky, forming a cloud, dropping two or three inches of rain, and then it just dissipates into the atmosphere. So all that kind of stuck with me. I was always a, a natural ham, so uh, I was lucky enough in high school to, to really look at meteorology as a career, but also combine with broadcasting, which combines public service and communication and weather. So that's that's the short version. 
That sounds like uh, something that all of us, that one little hook, uh, for some it was storms or a different weather phenomenon like uh, the uh, thunder snow. That's something I've always wanted to see. Not, I haven't seen that yet, but uh, really cool aspect. So, Alan, uh, you've been in broadcasting for, uh, for a while. You started off uh, uh, doing some uh, stuff in New York, and then uh, you went to do some broadcasting weather even on the radio, correct? Yeah, so uh, I went to Cornell undergrad, and when I was in Ithaca, New York, uh, Ithaca College had a, a communications department that was really strong, and they would let the Cornell meteorology students go over to their facilities and learn how to do chroma key, the green wall, and I'll show you my chroma key in a little bit. Uh, after that, I went to grad school at Florida State and also had the opportunity to keep practicing and starting to do radio weather for some small radio stations around the Tallahassee area. And right after grad school, I was really fortunate to get my first job within, I think it was 10 days of graduating. Wow. <laughs> in Albany, Georgia, as opposed to Albany, New York. <laughs> Different pronunciation, same spelling. And, and then from there, Alan, I mean, you've been uh, in the Mobile area for a, a good while, correct? 19 years. Yeah. Uh, so from Albany, Georgia, I went to Milwaukee, worked in Milwaukee for five years. Worked in Chicago for nine years at WGN with Tom Skilling. Uh, worked at the other station in Chicago uh, for a short while. And then ended up moving to Mobile 19 years ago, just like that. Time is flying by. Well, you talk about uh, working at WGN there in Chicago. Tom Skilling, a uh, meteorologist that many of us uh, look up to and uh, just really enjoy seeing uh, what he's done for the industry. Talk a little bit about your time with him. Yeah, it, it was... Uh, well, not, not to, to lower Tom, but the fun part about working at WGN was Bozo the Clown. Now, for my generation, people know Bozo. I know younger folks, is Bozo who? Uh, Bozo was a legendary clown on TV. He had a live uh, game show for kids hosted at WGN, and this went back easily to the 1960s. Uh, and when I was there, Bozo was still there doing his live program. So to me, that was, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, Tom's a good guy, definitely a hardcore meteorologist from sunrise to sunset. It's all about the weather. It's about the models. It's about the data and getting the information out there. <laughs> and then um, if I'm not not sure, I, I know we, we talked in March about um, trying to get you on the show. And at the time you're telling me uh, you're all, you also teach at South Alabama. Is, is that right? South Alabama right. University? Yeah, so for the last uh, 19 years since I've been in Mobile, every spring I teach one course, uh, weather broadcasting, Meteorology 359, and it's meteorology majors. A lot of folks uh, in the northern states don't realize that the University of South Alabama has a, a really strong undergraduate meteorology program. Um, I usually have anywhere from five to nine students, so it's a nice intimate class twice a week. Uh, the cool thing about it is the, the students get to come here. And while I'm doing this, I'm going to shake the camera a bit. I'll give you the quick tour and let me turn this around the right way. So bear with me and hopefully we won't lose signal. So uh, I'll start with it right here. Come on, camera focus for me. Okay. Now it's trying to show me my iPad. I don't want that. I want that. Oh, turn. Want yeah, there you go. We, okay. we can see it. So, well, let me back up first of all. So the life of a TV meteorologist right now, it's my dinner break. So this is our studio and it is just like Hollywood. You've got lights, 
you've got cameras, and right now there's no action, but later tonight there will be. Uh, this is the anchor desk, and the weather office is in this corner here. And like most weather offices, it's all computers now. When I started as a younger meteorologist, we had DIFAX charts, we had radar standalone displays, we had dial-up modems to get data, but now we have uh, one computer system which is networked. Uh, the good thing for us, our main computer is, uh, actually, I'm sorry, that one right there. That's the one the viewers see. This is a backup to it, which is really critical because computers crash, and you know they do. Uh, this is the one that runs the uh, tornado warnings, severe weather warnings across the bottom of the screen. And then we have a couple other uh, miscellaneous. We, we run a weather message, uh, which gets a feed of the sub subset of the NOAA data feed for emergency weather information. Radar, GR level two. So, of course, we've got the geeky stuff here. But the thing, of course, back to the students, the green wall. So this is our green wall setup, and that's how it looks. It's just a green wall. <laughs> it's kind of odd. In fact, I might be able, bear with me one moment. I'm, this is what we do. We multitask. I'm going to switch buttons here. And in just a minute, you should see me holding this popping up on the screen. It is switching technology. All right, so there we are. So when I'm here at the green wall, I also have a remote. Let me, the weather office is over there. It is 18 steps. When I'm at the green wall, we have our, our main four computers over here. So during severe weather, I can work here uh, without going to the main weather office. And then you see me seeing me. When I look forward, I see myself also. This is the camera. But what's unique here is when I point to the right, I see myself pointing to the left. There I am. Okay, now I can see myself over there. And then we also have a monitor on the left side. So back to the, the original point of my students, uh, the majority of what they do, we talk about uh, the broadcasting profession, we talk about meteorology, uh, but mo most importantly, we talk about weather communication, which is what we do as a, as a broadcast meteorologist. That, that's a great segue into, uh, you know, tonight we're, we don't really have a set topic. We, we, we call it a weather roundtable. There's numerous things, um, numerous questions and topics that we want to talk about. So yeah. you, you bring up weather communication. Um, last year, Reddit uh, voted you the best weatherman ever. And if I'm not mistaken, you didn't even know what Reddit was to begin with. Uh, right. Kind of tagged, deal, uh, uh, wove in with, with the active tropical season that we saw uh, last year. And uh, they were able to show your updates, uh, I, I think especially with Irma, yeah. and just the clear, concise message that you gave your viewers. Um, as, as folks who are in the weather industry like us, or maybe students who are about to go to college for meteorology or in, in college and right now studying meteorology, Tell us how important it is to have clear communication. It, it, it's, I feel like one of the things that we as an industry have to start focusing on better. It's, it's critical. Uh, and when I teach my students, I know that out of the half dozen or so, most of them are not going into broadcasting. But even though it's a weather communication course, number one, it's communication. And I don't care whether it's an interpersonal relationship, whether it's uh, an emergency situation, whether you're trying to get from point A to point B, everybody has to be a lot better at communicating. 
we make so many assumptions about what we're thinking, whether it translates out through our voices. Uh, I'm, I try to be really conscious of people who are, for example, I'm a Yankee working in a southern market. Uh, so things to me, a pecan. Growing up, we ate pecans, but here it's pecans, and there's a big difference. Uh, so just regional differences in pronunciation. Uh, also, when it comes to weather, something like a, a shower. A shower in Seattle is different from a shower in Tampa, just based on the climatology of the weather. So I, 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 I tell my students, don't take anything for granted. Assume that people just don't know anything about what you're talking about and make it make sense to someone who's in the fifth grade, someone who's in high school, someone who's retired. Um, break down all that jargon that we love to talk about and just make it super simple. I think that's great information. I think that's something we all should focus on it. Uh, to the public, we're talking about it. They don't want to know these big scientific words. They, they want to know what's going to affect them. And I think that's something um, all of us in the industry continue to strive for. Um, speaking of that, uh, speaking of the weather industry, you also voted the president of the uh, National Weather Association, which I know Eric uh, has a little tie in with that as well. So maybe Eric can jump in after this. But tell us about um, that. What, how, Tell us maybe for our viewers uh, who may not know what the Na National Weather Association is and then what your, what your role is in there. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll actually even take it farther back because uh, I've been a member of the National Weather, NWA for short. I've been a member since I was in grad school in the mid 1980s. I've also been a member of the American Meteorological Society since grad school in the mid 1980s. Both of them have a couple of things in common. They are both professional organizations for meteorologists. Uh, the AMS is coming up on their 100th anniversary next year. They're based in Boston. They have 13,000, 15,000, something like that membership, international. Uh, National Weather Association, just under 2,000, uh, mostly U.S., and the NWA is more focused on operational meteorology as opposed to research, uh, as opposed to teaching. It's all about people who day in and day out forecast the weather and deliver a weather forecast typically to consumers or clients. So um, I've been an active member of both. To me, they're like two sides of my family, my father's side, my mother's side. I love them equally. And, and what's funny is when I go to the different conferences, I always forget which one I'm at and where I met someone because there's a lot of crossover. A lot of us are dual members. Uh, most people know them by the, the little letters on TV next to the, the weather anchor. Uh, CBM, which is Certified Broadcast Meteorologist, comes from the American Meteorological Society. And then NWA is National Weather Association. And both of those are certifications that broadcasters uh, try to achieve. You have to achieve it by a written exam, uh, basic competency in meteorology. You have to achieve it also by an on-air evaluation to show that you are a credible, uh, effective communicator. So for, for both of the organizations, I've been involved as a, a council person, a SEAL chair, a local president, and it, it just sort of happened. I, I never growing up had any desire to be a leader in a leadership position, but obviously I'm a chief meteorologist, so that's a leadership position. And then within NWA, uh, people just over the years 
have just kind of kept pushing me forward. Say, hey, why don't you try that? Why don't you run for that? You know, people would, let, would love for you to do that. So for me, it's an honor to, to be uh, looked at by your peers as someone worthy of leading an organization. So I, I was uh, elected president a year and a half ago. My official presidential term started January 1st, so I'm in the middle of my presidential term. And it's, it's fun. It's challenging because it's work, it's time management. You learn about committees and structures of organizations. Uh, we're working on our bylaws. We're working on our articles of incorporation, our annual meeting in St. Louis coming up at the end of August. But it, it really is fun to work with a bunch of weather folks who are just passionate about what we all do. Alan, I had the opportunity to uh, to see you speak at uh, Norfolk uh, a year and a half ago, and um, just you know, message is is right on point, um, and, and very easy for everybody that was that was there to under, understand and and take something from. So uh, I have uh, I had no reservations about uh, casting that vote. Um, I know each president, as they come through, kind of has their own um, kind of their own mission or what they want to see happen during that year that they're in their term. Um, can you talk a little bit about what your kind of your mission statement is for this year and, and how uh, you're working on affecting that through the NWA? Yeah, so my, my overall mission is diversity. And when I say diversity, I mean it in the broadest sense of the word. Number one, racial and gender. And when you look at the profession of meteorology, uh, for women, for example, I believe it's only about 25, maybe 30% at most. Uh, for African Americans, we are 3%, maybe 4% at most. And you, if you look for other uh, racial minorities, the numbers are really low. Uh, so my number one mission is to try to get those numbers up, which is, is mostly mentorship. That's all it takes. I mean, everybody loves weather regardless of your race or gender. It's just that when you walk into a room with a bunch of people who are different than you, you typically don't feel comfortable until you realize you have that same passion. Um, so that, that's number one. And already our council has more diversity in women and in uh, uh, racial uh, balance. Uh, the other, uh, did I answer your question? It, it just, I was about yeah, to I, and I, something. And, and I, if I, that's all right. And I think I, re, I think I remember you discussing also that the, the diversity also has to do with different people's backgrounds and, and what sector they're in. Exactly. So yeah, let me pick up on that. Uh, yeah. So we, most people think of weather, they either think of uh, broadcast meteorologists or they think of the National Weather Service. They, people forget about private industry, which is the backbone of what I do here. My data comes through a private weather vendor. Um, people forget about uh, the armed forces, the Marines, Coast Guard, Navy, all these people have, have their own meteorologists. Um, they forget about uh, older people who are near retirement, uh, who still have a lot to contribute of the history of our profession and literally climatology let alone just keeping up with what's going on. So yeah, it's diversity in sector, geography. Um, I, I always kind of chuckle because the meteorology I was taught, and I think that most people are taught in school, is mid-latitude meteorology. Everything is based on where the country was populated back in the 1800s and where most of the meteorologists live. So, just understanding that you have tropical meteorology, polar meteorology, you have space weather, you have all these different areas that all come back to operational forecasting. 
and that is also a big part of me trying to diversify uh, the organization. Yeah, if I could just jump in real fast. I think that's so great. Um, I'm an emergency manager, which I originally had a meteorology track, and I decided to take the weather knowledge into EM to improve decision making, but also bridge the gap between the science and emergency managers. So I'm very interested in NWA because I think that there's a lot of opportunity with your mission and people like me who are kind of doing a crossover approach. Mm -hmm. um, do you see a lot of potential at conferences or stuff for people like me to present and have opportunities like that? Definitely. Uh, so, so what we've seen, even before my term, uh, we do have a, a strong core of emergency managers who attend our conferences and do present. Uh, just like now, we're realizing we need the social scientists to get in more involved. So on our, uh, our council right now, we have a social scientist. We have uh, actually two of them. And all of that goes back to how we communicate and how people interpret what we're saying. For example, you know, right now, the National Weather Service is in the middle of trying to simplify their watches and warnings where the average person can't differentiate between a flash flood warning, a river flood warning, an aerial flood warning, a urban and small stream and flood advisory. So that's what the social scientists are helping us with. But when you, when you look at NWA, and our website's up there now, uh, we are broadcasters, we are National Weather Service, we are NASA, we are government, we are private industry. Uh, we have multiple committees, anywhere from professional development to social media to um, local chapters. Uh, it's all actually it's all there on the website. That's kind of the short version. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you. Um, Alan, one thing I wanted to, to present to you um, a question that uh, we, we kind of talk with a lot of folks about. Um, you've been so entrenched in this profession. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of focus now being on social media. You know, it was first TV, now social media. Where do you see our industry being in the next five to 10 years? What are, you, what are some things, if you were to talk to your college uh, students or, or those who are young in the, in the profession, what are those things that we need to start looking towards? What do you think we're going to be progressing to in the next, you know, 10 years or so? It's wide up for grabs, which is good and bad. Uh, there's plenty of opportunity for weather broadcasters, and it doesn't matter whether you're a TV broadcaster, a YouTube broadcaster, a Vine, or you name it. There are multiple platforms, but that same opportunity is a stress because you're, what, what the TV industry is doing right now is we know that TV viewership is kind of dwindling and fading. Not that fast, but it is definitely declining because people are going on these other platforms. So we don't know what the next big thing is. And there may be no big, big next thing. It may be a bunch of little things where everyone has their own little niche. Um, so I, I do try to get my students prepared for the concept of it's not just TV, it's multiple platforms. Uh, so a good example is even five years ago, uh, in this market, in the mobile market, when we have severe weather, if it's a severe thunderstorm warning, we don't interrupt the program. We run the words across the bottom of the screen. But now with Facebook, if it's a severe thunderstorm warning, half the time we're on Facebook covering that, which is not bad, except it, it 
gets in the way of our other job of being on TV. So there's this balance that it's difficult to find of where do you put your efforts. Um, but again, the opportunity is there. You don't have to be in a big million dollar TV studio to be an effective weather uh, person who disseminates weather information, just as we're doing right now. You could do it from the comfort of your home uh, or something a little more professional. Alan, I was going to ask you a little bit of how social media has changed your job over the years, and it sounds like you hit upon a lot of that. So let me ask this instead. Is, do you think social media has made your job easier or harder? Both. <laughs> uh, here's a great example. Uh, yesterday morning, and people can go to, go to my Facebook page to see the thread. Yesterday morning, uh, we got a lot of rain in the morning, a lot more than I had projected. And the models honestly didn't pick up on it until 24 hours beforehand and one contractor complained on my website on my Facebook page that I should have done better and the nature of what we do as you know is you miss some that's just the reality so I'm prepared for that and I didn't miss it because I was negligent I missed it because the data just didn't show it but that's what social media does it allows people to get picky and instantly criticize you for doing your job uh, if you're interrupting the program for a tornado warning, people will get on your Facebook page and start posting and saying things about you that your mother wouldn't want to hear or their mothers wouldn't want to hear. The good thing of, of, of social media is, for me, weather photos from people. I love weather photos. It also confirms the forecast or what we think might have happened. Uh, weather information and then weather education uh, daily i get pictures from people who say well what kind of cloud is this or i experienced this can you explain what it was so there's a genuine interest uh, by the average person to try to figure out how the atmosphere works so that part's really good and honestly the negative part is not that bad but it is uh it's there in the old days it used to be a telephone or a letter now it's quick type instant message <laughs> Alan, I got a question for you. Um, where you're forecasting from in Mobile, Alabama, that covers the National Weather Service offices sort of cover a, a large area to the east over Pensacola, Florida, all the way to Fort Walton, I believe, Okaloosa Island. Yeah. Uh, do you cover that as well? Tell us a little bit about the area you forecast for and how unique it is for this part of the country. I mean, you're you're the northern Gulf of Mexico. You're also at a spot where sea breezing is a huge influence. You have tropical yeah. weather. And uh, tell us tell us a little bit about what you do there. All right, I'm going to turn this camera around, and you can kind of see behind me as it's going through. Uh, so the WKRG area, we cover for weather, we cover 13 counties, uh, three of them in southern Mississippi on the Alabama state line, uh, uh, three of them in the Florida panhandle, in Scambia, Santa Rosa, Okaloosa, which is Pensacola to Destin, and then the other seven are Alabama. So it's like a semicircle on the Gulf Coast. Uh, Twelve of our counties are covered by the Mobile Office of the National Weather Service. One, Jackson County, Mississippi, is covered by uh, Slidell, New Orleans. And we have a really good relationship with our local weather service offices, with our emergency managers, university. It's a really good weather community here. There's no antagonism. There's no name calling. It's all about working together. So what makes uh, the Gulf Coast unique uh, we have the Gulf of Mexico right next to us, and that alone makes it unique. A daily sea breeze cycle. Uh, we have 
uh, a couple of big bays, Mobile Bay, uh, Pensacola Bay, Choctahatchee Bay. Um, we, we are kind of like right in the middle of the hurricane path in, in a really active season right in the north central Gulf of Mexico. This past season, we had a rare event. We had snow, but we had it twice in one season, which is extremely rare. Uh, we had one inch measured in Mobile. Uh, that snow also, one of them produced, I think, boy, five inches for 70 miles north of the Gulf Coast, once you got into Washington County and Clark County and Greene County, Mississippi. So winter weather, we don't get much. It's very rare to get ice and snow. Very common to get tropical weather. We had Hurricane Nate last year. We were on the fringe of it, so we had some impact. Of course, we had Ivan and Katrina, the two big storms. Severe weather, uh, boy, let's see. So, you know, you're, you're in an area that's on high alert a lot more than your average spot in the United States. I mean, you got uh, water spouts, tornadoes, tropical yeah. systems. But it's unique because we get mini supercells, which means they're half the height of a, of a traditional supercell that you read about. So the first tornado we had here when I started was a mini supercell. It may have been 23, 24,000 feet tall on a Saturday morning. And it produced, an, at that point, it was, an, I guess, an F1. And that would be an EF1. But we had a mini supercell tornado outbreak just last month. We had five tornadoes. Not one lasted more than two minutes on the ground. And the average path length was less than a mile. One of them was 25 yards wide. So we get these incredibly hard to find tiny tornadoes that are brief. They were all EF0s and EF1s, which is typical. Uh, we don't see too many EF3s until you get into the northern part of our, county, our counties. And even those, it's not common. Uh, the good thing about our market, um, going back in the last four decades, we've only had literally a handful of tornado fatalities. Same thing with flash floods. But lightning takes out a lot of people, especially people who are new to the area or visiting our beaches, which is Gulf Shores, Orange Beach, Dauphin Island. And then weather-related, but not always, is rip currents. That's the number one killer for uh, people along our coastline when it comes to weather. Um, oh, but other than that, uh, winters are great, as in I don't wear my heavy coat. Uh, typical winter night, 40 degrees. We'll get into the 20s every once in a while. Uh, typical summer day, lower 90s, but very humid. Uh, rare to break 100 because of the sea breeze and the cooling effect of the Gulf of Mexico. Alan, you, you, you hinted, on it, hinted on it just a little bit ago. Um, obviously, 2017 was a very active tropical season, one that uh, we haven't seen in, in a good amount of time. Uh, as you said, Nate was there. At one point, we thought maybe um, um, uh, Irma uh, could have some effects. Uh, talk to us ab about that. You know, uh, before 2017, a lot of folks kind of forgot about the tropics because we hadn't had any major hurricanes or anything like that. But uh, it was a reality, uh, a slap of reality last year. So talk to us about your tropical season last year and, and how the folks there prepared for it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's worrisome. And going back to the profession of meteorology, it's incredible the amount of data we have, the quality of data, the resolution of the data of uh, the new gozies 
uh, radar in the palm of your hand with instant warnings, lightning strikes. I just 20 years ago is there's no way. So this is another double-edged sword of technology. We can see so much farther in advance things that possibly could happen. And Alberto was a good example of that. I, as a local broadcaster, seven days is my forecast. But when I get ready to travel, I'll start looking out 10 days, 14 days. And there was one model, some of you know, the GFS, 12, 13, 14 days in advance, it kept putting a tropical storm in the Gulf of Mexico. And it, it, it just gives you so much more time to worry, let alone prepare. It turns out I canceled my vacation, I worked. On the positive side, it gives people more time to prepare. But that's where we run into another problem of perspective. We talked about our Alberto as a tropical disturbance for, I think, five days. Yeah, basically five days before it even became a subtropical storm. So by five days, in the old days, five days would be the most you would ever hear about anything. Uh, it's, it's on the way, it's here, it's gone. That's five days. But now it's five days before it even starts. So I, I hope that we as a society don't get burned out by so much discussion about things that could happen versus here's what really is happening, here's what you really need to focus on. So that, that makes my job harder because I'm constantly talking about things that could happen. And when you start that much sooner, you, you don't have the accuracy uh, of when you're, of course, waiting to a shorter time period to say, okay, there it is, versus, well, it could be somewhere. Um, this part of the Gulf Coast, people take hurricanes and tropical storms seriously, but they also, they make the mistake of saying, oh, it's only a tropical storm. Oh, it's only a category one. But we know just from basic meteorology, a slow tropical storm can be really devastating. Uh, a cat one that produces tornadoes can be really devastating. So it's, it's never one little thing that, that defines a storm in total, but unfortunately people still tend to, to look at them that way. Um, I, I, I think a, a lot of people are prepared, but still our last big storm was Katrina, which was I have, 12 years ago. I always have to recalculate. And Baldwin County, Alabama is the fastest growing county in the state. So we have a lot of people who are new to the area who never went through a, a, a major hurricane. Uh, they never have gone without electricity for three to five to six to seven days. And that, that's what bothers me is that I don't know that people really are prepared. I mean, we all think we are, but I don't know that people really are. I was going to ask you, um, you know, with sea level rise being sort of an issue and today's floods being tomorrow's norms, we're seeing that here in the southeast Charleston area, folks along Miami, Florida. Um, and then you have coastal resiliency efforts for all of these new developments, as you mentioned. You know, folks are moving to the coastline. Uh, developments are continuing to spread. And um, how, how well do you think your forecast area is prepared for flooding with these events as they continue to, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what sea level rise is doing exactly for your area, but I mean, I would, I would think that a lot of folks even on the Gulf Coast are, are feeling those effects as well. Right, okay, a couple of points there. One is, I, I, I know that our cities, our county, the emergency managers, all the professionals are better prepared. 
Uh, our infrastructure is a little stronger, but parts of it are aging. Um, the issue of flooding, we, we know where flooding typically happens, but because of the rate of development, our whole hydrology, the water flow, is changing every year, literally. So when you do go a couple of years, even if it's just a, a slow-moving cluster of thunderstorms, if it's in a, a new subdivision, here's a perfect example. Uh, there's a golf course that's in the middle of being redone, and all the grass was cleared off. And people who live down one of the major rivers are seeing all this mud sediment coming down the river from a golf course that's probably three miles away. So things like that, that's a constant issue of urbanization. And even when you think you account for it, we get those extreme rains in this part of the country and you do get more floods. Our other big issue is simply traffic volume. The number of people on the roads makes evacuation or even avoiding a flooded roadway that much harder. Um, so yeah, those are still, because society is never stagnant, we're, we're constantly adjusting the atmosphere or the local atmosphere or the local impact of what happens and then we're trying to adjust to it. Uh, back to specifically climate change. Uh, Alabama, if you look at the temperature and precipitation record, Alabama is one of the states that does not have a huge uh, signal right now from climate change. The, now the water levels are rising. You can go to the tide gauges and historically they all, they all are coming up. And people are aware of that, but it's not, it's not as big of an issue as just our daily uh, threats of severe weather or hurricane. Uh, I won't get into the politics of all of that, but it's, 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 we know there's a scientific approach and then there's a political approach. Uh, but more and more people in communities are looking at resiliency overall. People are more aware. Um, our flood zone maps are constantly updated, so people do have to build higher when they want to build on the water. Yep. Uh, Alan, I know in all the years you've been forecasting and been on the air, uh, I wanted to ask you, what's your most memorable storm that you ever had to uh, forecast? It, it would, it's a tie between Ivan and Katrina. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, for all my meteorology career, I never really studied tropical meteorology. And it turned out more information. So I've learned a lot. I've had great seminars from the Hurricane Center. Uh, had a chance to fly with the Hurricane Hunters, which is really cool. Uh, in fact, my last flight, the two meteorologists on board were both former students of mine at the University of South Alabama. So that was also awesome. Um, but yeah, Ivan and Katrina, what made them unique was I learned, I, I used everything I had ever learned. And I don't mean I sat down and derived equations, but I mean all the, the knowledge that I had gained about the atmosphere and communication all came into play because we, my TV station, we were on air with Hurricane Ivan for, I believe, six days straight. Now, we had commercials. And with Katrina, we were on for nine days with commercials. So it was a lot of talking and teaching. Uh, people, people learn so much. And, and for me, it's just normal to teach as I talk. That's just my nature. And people to this day, people will come up to me and say, oh, I remember you told us to, to go outside and you could see the Milky Way, which normally you can't see it because of light pollution. But after the hurricanes, there, there was no light. So people remember that. People remember me talking about uh, the, the feeder bands, 
Now, if you're in a band, it's the worst weather ever, and if you're just outside of it, it's calm. So all, all that was made it memorable. Now, people died, and that, it, it happens. It's, it's, a part of, it's a part of what we do as meteorologists. Um, in Ivan, we lost, about, I think it was seven people in storm surge, mostly toward uh, Baldwin County and Escambia County, Florida, between, say, Orange Beach and Pensacola. In Katrina, uh, Katrina, it may have been just a couple of people who lost their lives. Uh, but as a meteorologist, you, you do the best you can do. You, you train, you study, you learn, and you know that you have to know that you can't save every life. You can only try really, really hard. Um, so, and you, you never know how many people you really save just by simple advice. Uh, whether it's get off the ladder, it's time to go inside. <laughs> I'm putting the boards up on the window. Alan, we have a question from a viewer. Uh, his name is Wes. He's watching from New Orleans, and he's originally from Mobile. And he writes in asking, uh, he feels like there's been an increase in tornadoes over the years, the last five or seven years or so. And he's wondering if you see that as a trend, or, or maybe it's just that there's more populated, dense areas now. Yes. So good question, Wes. There, there's more of everything. If you think about weather, uh, actually, let me back up and show my age. When I was a little kid, if, if a volcano erupted in uh, Guatemala, the news networks would film it. They would ship the film by airplane to New York. They'd get it on TV and it would get in the newspaper maybe two days later. Now, when the volcano erupts, you're watching it live on somebody's device. So all weather events are now instant. When I was a kid, there were, in most cities, there may have been three TV stations. Now, cable satellite, you may have 300. So you're seeing all these things that have, frankly, they've always been there, but now we can show it easier and we see it more frequently. From the standpoint of technology, we have a better radar network and meteorologists know better what to look for, what signatures. So we do detect more uh, tornadoes, flash floods, hail. And yes, population is a big, big deal. Uh, where I live in Mobile, uh, it's called Westmobile. In my community, the homes were built in the, in the 1970s. In the 1960s, and I live in a subdivision that has 300 homes. Ten years prior to those homes being built, it was a farm field. So if you had a severe thunderstorm over that farm field, the farmer would know, the cattle would know. But now you have 300 homes, which is maybe 1,000 people being impacted by a severe thunderstorm in that one small subdivision. So to answer the question, population, detection, and part of detection is uh, cameras all over the place. So whether the climatology of tornadoes is changing, I don't, I don't know. I haven't looked into that. But I, I definitely know that detection and uh, technology let us see it all. Age of data and instant, instant information, uh, that is definitely the case. So I, I wanted to, I know we're getting on uh, after 9 o'clock p.m., so I'm going to kind of get towards the end of the show here, but I want to at least introduce your website here. It's called Weather Things. Yeah. If you'd like to uh, give us a little uh, talk about your, your website here and what, what folks, we can go to, was it weatherthings.com? Correct. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just changing my camera so I can actually look at it. So what it is, it's, it's just, 
a collection of stuff that I've put there. Uh, it's I don't sell anything. There are no ads. There are no cookies. None of that stuff. It's just stuff that I do. And I, I, I've always done a lot of writing as a meteorologist. So there are a couple of fun articles, I think, of behind the scenes as a broadcaster at a TV station. There's a long list of um, back to communication in that upper right where it says bad words for weathercasters. Click on that one. And what it is, I, I he, when people talk, I hear, if I hear one word, my mind puts another word in there. Uh, just like when I listen to music, sometimes I can hear different patterns and rhythms in two different songs. But what it is, it's a list of what I call bad weather words that are used universally throughout weather broadcasting. And we, I think when young people get into a business, to feel official, they have to talk the official talk. It's like police officers help them. They're just words that fill up time and space. Uh, but some of the other things on my website, my hobby since I was a kid has been taking pictures. So weather photography, whenever I have the chance to do it, I try to get out as much as possible and do that. And then I, that evolved to video, videography. So weather photography and videography. Uh, I have pictures that I don't sell them directly. I, I give, not give, but I have companies that either sell them for me. And then from all of those, I have a, does, uh, several dozen educational weather videos for elementary schools. And those are distributed throughout the United States by United Learning. They're distributed by another company, not United Learning, Discovery Education, another company called Bow Clips. So it, it truly is just a bunch of weather things that I do to keep myself busy uh, and also to um, just make sure that I always have a job, whether I work for someone else or work for myself. And so far, so good. I was supposed to unmute myself there. Or Alan, um, we are we are getting past nine nine uh, fifteen, eight fifteen your time. So I know you've got some things to do and you want to get dinner. Um, but it's interesting that you brought that point. I have one other question, but I do want to ask this. Uh -huh. uh, you just you just brought up a, a point about uh, making sure that you have a job, even if it's not in TV. Do you see our industry maybe in the next 10, 15 years, maybe going more towards a private or a consultant type of deal? The trends in the TV industry, number one, overall viewership is going down. Number two, uh, you have fewer ownership companies that are larger. Uh, but the other trend is there's growth within the TV industry. Now, again, we may not call it TV in a few years, but there are still weather openings all over the place for uh, television broadcast, uh, weather uh, broadcast meteorologists. Uh, both over-the-air TV or cable TV only and satellite. So, yeah, there, I think there are lots of opportunities all over the place. But the, where we're going to be, I just have no clue. So, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, honestly, I tell people I'm happy to be on the tail end of my career than the leading end because <laughs> I, I wouldn't know what was be in front of me. I do is ask James, you know, where he sends all of our social media feeds. I'm like, what is that? Where is this going again? Yeah. <laughs> no clue. It is definitely a, a, an evolving uh, industry. Well, my last question to you, and it's something that we always ask a lot of our guests, mm -hmm. um, and probably fitting with, with your, your teaching at the university, uh, what is your words of wisdom, words of advice for, for folks who are uh, getting ready to study or 
currently in the process or maybe even those who are graduating now trying to find jobs, uh, what, what is your words uh, of wisdom to those folks and those who have already been vested here in the industry? Yeah, uh, lots of words. Let's see. Number one is if, if this is your passion, go for it. But don't do it because other people say you should. You, you always have to follow what makes you happy. Uh, I love weather. Um, it, it's it's what, what I enjoy. I love teaching. So that's number one. Uh, number two is learn, learn, learn. Never stop learning. You've got to gather as much information as you can, uh, which also makes you comfortable, which makes you credible. The more knowledge you have, uh, the farther you will go in any profession. Uh, you will fail, and failure is good because it teaches you. You learn from your failures. Now, it's better to learn from someone else's failures than your own, but just know you're going to fail. You're, you'll stumble every once in a while, but life will go on. You, you just have to try the hardest you can. You can, you can. Um, a common question I get is, what's the best school to go to for meteorology? It doesn't matter. You go to the one that works for you, and it's what you get out of it that makes you a good meteorologist. You can go to a big name, and people will perceive it as something important. But if you go to a big name school and sleep through your classes, you're worthless. You've, you've got to absorb something from wherever you are. Uh, oh, and then uh, most importantly, have fun. You've got to have fun with what you plan to do the rest of your life. Otherwise, it'll just be a job. That's great words of wisdom there uh, for from you, Alan. And I, I can't believe we were commenting here in our sidebar. This conversation has went by so fast, and yeah. uh, we really appreciate you uh, joining us tonight. I know uh, we, we we worked uh, for a couple of months getting you on, and it's been a pleasure to have you on, Alan. We well, we really you. do appreciate it. Yeah, uh, always happy to help out. We would love for you to uh, have our viewers or our people who are listening on the podcast later on. Uh, if they ever want to get in contact with you or follow you, how, how can they do that? Uh, for me, the best platform is Facebook. Uh, that's where all my energy goes. So uh, Seals, something like that. Seals, you'll figure it out. It'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Alan. Well, we appreciate that. Stick around if you want to. We're going to close the show right quick, though. Uh, we have had Alan Seals on with us uh, here on show number 235. So if you are listening on the uh, podcast, we appreciate you listening. And reach out to Alan if you have any questions. And if you're watching live right now, uh, shoot him a message if you ever have any weather questions. Uh, next week, uh, we have uh, Mr. Kenneth uh, Hudnut. He's on from the National uh, or the United States Geological Services. Uh, earthquakes have been a, a big topic in in the uh, world over the past few months, and though it's not really correlates with weather, it kind of is still in our industry. So uh, we're going to be talking about earthquakes next week with Kenneth Hudnut uh, from the USGS, and then um, the twentieth we have uh, Dr. Philip Klontz back from Colorado State University. Uh, he's going to. Uh, be giving us a uh, season preview of this upcoming uh, hurricane season. And as we close out the month of June, the Sirens Project. This is a unique um, group of uh, three or four guys who go out storm chasing out in the plains every year. And uh, the way they do it is drones with drones. And so uh, we're looking forward to um, to having those guys on and, and telling us about uh, their adventures out in the plains. So that's what's on tap here for the Carolina Weather Group. Guys, if you don't mind, it, it, since it's almost 930, we'll – Skip tweets of the week, but we will uh, tweet them out from our personal account to let you know what our pick of the week was. But again, Alan, uh, we really do appreciate you being on with us tonight. Hopefully we can uh, maybe we can crack out, uh, get you back on the show sometime and, and talk about something else. So, yeah. Yep. If time allows, I'll be happy to do it. 
everyone, thanks for watching us here on the Carolina Weather Group tonight. As always, if you have any uh, topics or uh, guests that you would like us to reach out to uh, to have on our show, feel free to uh, send us a message, and we will do what we can to get them on the show. And uh, until next week, we hope you have a great weekend. Stay cool out there as the heat and humidity returns in the southeast. And we'll see you back here on the Carolina Weather Group next Wednesday night.